Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. It's good to be here, Dan. Um, Chris, well, we missed you. It's, uh, it's been a little bit of a gap since our last podcast, uh, probably the, the longest one since we've, we started the show, but between travel um, and just some other uh, you know, areas of we were unable to connect. But here we are. We're back in action um, and figure we'll kick off today with talking about consumer price index and producer price index. Um, you know, both of those came in lighter than expected. Um, you know, we've seen a rally in treasury yields and a broadening in market participation. Um, so first question today, you know, what, what's your outlook for inflation on the back half of the year and into early 2024? Um, and then beyond that, you know, could this possibly take the pressure off the Fed to implement additional rate hikes? Yeah, it, it's interesting when you, it's certainly welcome uh, uh, event to see inflation decline as, as fast as it has. It shouldn't be unexpected because where we're seeing the declines, it's in goods prices, right? It's it's because of the fall in energy prices. It's because of the de-bottlenecking and the inventory builds up. So we should expect that. <clears throat> the services inflation is still quite elevated and quite sticky. Um, and we're with another element of good news is with headline inflation coming down, we've seen for the first time real wages start to increase. So we've gone, you know, well over a year with declining real wages. They're now for the first time starting to increase. The fact that services is still um, very sticky from an inflationary standpoint and not declining and the fact that we're seeing real wages pick up and because a lot of the weakness that we saw in June was really base effects, and those base effects, June is the most difficult comp for inflation, so it should be our weakest print. We're really not set up to see a further material decline in inflation. And in fact, as we got that print, we've seen a downturn in the US dollar that also adds to inflation. So I think what we're seeing right now is the bottoming process. And uh, the strength we've seen recently in fossil fuel prices, if that continues, that's going to be very important. And it's going to be a leading indicator that we're going to start to see inflation remain elevated at these levels, well above the 2% target. Um, and so I, I don't know that it's really going to take the pressure off the Fed. It may mean they don't hike at the next meeting, uh, but we're not we're not seeing the leading indicators for inflation such that we would say, look, we've got the all clear. The Fed's going to be cutting rates soon. Um, I think to 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 get to that point, I do believe we're going to have lower real rates a year from now because real rates are now moving higher, and that's going to start to have uh, impact the economy and impact assets. In a, in a fairly difficult fashion. Um, and it's also going to impact the, the government's ability to continue to fund their own deficit. So I think we're going to see lower real rates. The question's going to come, is it going to be because the Fed cut rates or is it going to come because of further fiscal policy and higher inflation as we enter into 2024? So one follow-up question to that um, you know, regarding inflation. Are there, are there negative effects with an aggressive decline in inflationary pressures? There's certainly knock-on effects. And, and this is, you know, the inflationary environment we've been in, while unique to the current generation of investors, is not unique. 
right? We, and you, you just need to understand that it was the inflation that drove the demand. It was the inflation that drove revenue growth. It was the inflation that drove the margin expansion via pricing power. And with inflation decelerating aggressively, then that means that goes away. So if you look at the rate of change in inflation and you look at its correlation to S&P earnings, it, it leads S&P earnings on about a three to six month basis. Um, and it would indicate about a 20% decline in S&P earnings by year end. And so that would put the S&P at you know, closer to $180 in earnings, which is a number we've talked about for some time. And we're trading at 25 times that number. So we, we, you know, we just need to take stock of, of where we are and how we got here. And while we've, we've been in an economic slowdown, we, we have been dealing with the higher interest rate environment, it's had a backdrop of fairly robust revenue growth. And that revenue growth does protect margins. Even if you have cost and pressures, just having upward sloping revenues does offset some of that margin degradation. As we move forward, and we're going to have okay earnings, ex-banks, in the second quarter because we still have this revenue growth. The impact on earnings shows up in the third and fourth quarter. And if we start to get year-over-year -year revenue declines, which it looks like we're going to start to get, that's when, that's when you really see the hit to margins. That's when you see the decrementals because you can't possibly cut cost as fast as revenue declines are occurring because you don't start cutting cost until your revenues go, go negative. So I think that's what the setup is for the third and fourth quarter. And it's, and it's gonna, I mean, we were just gonna have to bring down the earnings estimates. It means the market's more expensive than what people realize. And, you know, we just need to acknowledge, you know, the S&P 500's 3% higher than where it was when the Fed began raising rates. So it's, things aren't that tight yet. Right, right. Um, so, you know, another topic we've, you know, we've previously discussed it around, you know, concerns with respect to declining liquidity conditions as a treasury refilled their general account, right? Um, and to date, it doesn't appear that liquidity conditions have negatively impacted the markets. Um, do you think that the liquidity risks today are in the rearview mirror? Um, I don't think they are if the Fed doesn't change their current uh, policy regarding quantitative tightening. So the Treasury certainly has been able to increase their general account without putting pressure on the market, and they've been able to do that because it's been funded by a reduction in the reverse repo that's held at the Fed. Um, that That is, if the money's coming out of the reverse repo to go into uh, fiscal spending via the Treasury general account, it's kind of a neutral as it relates to liquidity. In fact, you know, it, it can offset some of the quantitative tightening we have, and, it, and that's what's happened to date. The rate of decline in the reverse repo has been so aggressive that if we stay on this current path, there will be no uh, monies pledged or liquidity available for the reverse repo within the next five to six months, meaning we will have completely uh, reduce the use of that facility. Um, at that point, if that was to occur, then all the quantitative tightening that would continue would in fact be a very significant headwind uh, to the market. Quite frankly, I think it'd, it'd create a pretty good correction. 
Um, at the same time, if in fact the money stops coming out of the reverse repo, but we stay on the quantitative tightening path, that just pulls that negative liquidity environment forward. So it's very much going to uh, contend on whether or not the Fed sticks with QT and then and where uh, those reverse repo balances land when everything settles out. Um, look, the pressure within the banking system is still with us. It's still very real. Um, the credit losses that are developing, are, you're going to see those start to come to fruition. We started seeing it in the most recent data with auto loans as year-over-year demand is down, not because people don't want cars, not because there's too many cars available or anything like that. Prices are falling. It's because there's no financing. Um, we're seeing long-term players walk away from the mortgage market. And right now, if you're originating a mortgage, you lose money on every mortgage you originate. So there's a lot of imbalances that still exist that we're going to have to deal with over the next six months. And a lot of it is directly related to Fed policy. So will they continue QT? If they want to fix the mortgage issue, they should actually speed up the selling of mortgages so they could steepen the curve. Uh, there's plenty of demand out there. Um, or they can, or they're going to have to cut rates, or we're just going to have to deal with the negative consequences. And you know, taking back, you know, all that you described so far today, given the current setup we've gone through, you know, how how do you think investors should think about when to add risk to their portfolio? Yeah, look, so I, I think we often talk about the the headwinds that are developing at a macro level on this podcast, but I think it's important for people to understand you add risk when it's attractive. And so, look, we're going to have a recession. We've been talking about it forever. We've been in an earnings recession since May. I don't, I, I think that earnings recession, meaning the worst of it, is going to start bottoming in Q3 of this year and Q4 of this year. Um, but it, again, it will just depend on how weak the economy is at that point in time. But as you acknowledge that you're in a recession, and as the data shows you are, that's when you need to be buying in. So the housing recession began a long time ago, and housing bottomed a year ago. The semiconductor recession began well over um, a year ago, and semiconductors bottomed a year ago. So, you know, we as portfolio managers, when we look at these at the industry and the company level, we're really buying them once it's apparent and that 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 mass selling is starting to occur, you need to be moving in because that's that's just the market is a discounting mechanism to a certain degree still. And so you need to be adding that risk at the point of what would look like maximum pain. And that's going to vary by sector. Uh, so in a lot of ways, areas of the market, you should have already been adding risk. And others, like in regional banks right now, you know, we're doing the work, but we understand very well that banks are nowhere near out of the woods yet. Uh, but we'd be inclined to be adding that risk as those headlines are coming out. As an allocator, as I said, I think we're going to see the worst of the earnings expectations when we start reporting Q3, and I think it'll be a surprise. There's no question. It's also important to realize that inflation isn't the issue now, right? The issue, and that's been the case all year, the issue is earnings growth and margins, and the rate at which we're going to see the slowdowns is going to surprise people. We saw that this week 
with FMC. FMC, the management team, it's a great company, great business. It's a, it's a great management team. They do a good job of buying back shares and timing it. They also do a good job of, of selling shares and buying shares for their own personal investing. And the CEO made a very significant uh, share repurchase in early May. And then this week they come out and announce that they basically cut their current quarter earnings by a third. And why did they do that? Well, the distributors stopped buying their product. Why did they do that? Well, it wasn't that in-demand wasn't there. Quite frankly, I think it's because inflation has fallen to such a degree, holding inventory at, you know, LIBOR or SOFR plus 500 today, or no, pardon, SOFR plus 100, you know, when SOFR's running five and a half percent, your financing costs of inventory went from basically 2%, two and a half percent to maybe 6%. That's fine when inflation's running 9, 10, 11, 12%. When it's falling, in this case for ag goods, to single digits, if not negative, you don't want to hold an inventory. It's, it's, it's a it's significant impact to your cash flow and your earnings. So I think we're going to see these abrupt inventory disruptions. I think we're going to start to see it play out in the third and fourth quarter. So it won't surprise me while the world still thinks we're going to make $200 or $210 plus this year that, you know, we get to the third and fourth quarter and we're annualizing at a, you know, $180 earnings rate. So I'm looking at the third quarter. We've been adding risk all year, uh, but we've been doing it uh, very tactically. Um, I, the, the elements are lining up for liquidity to be an issue in that September, October time period for the earnings results to be much weaker than people expect by then. And so that's kind of where we have our eye for um, an opportunity to probably ramp up and accelerate some adding risk to the portfolios. Okay. Um, and last one for today, and, and a little bit different topic, but um, you know, there's an announcement this week that the NASDAQ 100, it's going to reduce the weight of the top 10 positions from 45% of the index down to 40. Um, so you know, how, how material is this move over the short and, and long term for equity investors? Yeah, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's gonna turn out to be a big deal over time. Uh, for the short term, I think it's what's been triggering uh, the short covering rally we've seen and some of the most heavily shorted stocks over the last week. If you, know, if you were um, over-indexed or uh, overweight tech or you were just long quality and, and short junk, um, you own these companies in spades. And what the indices just basically said is, hey, maybe these things aren't going to be allowed to go up more than 10% a year. Uh, but it, it is a definite indication that market participation is going to broaden. Um, it does also mean that it may be much easier for active management to outperform these indexes and offer a real alternative. You could just overweight these names to the extent you thought they were attractive. And, you know, that's difficult to do uh, when the weightings are as heavy as they are. So I think it's going to be a big deal. Um, the What really drives index performance is the passive allocations that come out of target date funds and retirement accounts via 401k contributions. So every two weeks, there's this automatic bid. And so that automatic bid is going to be dispersed through a greater number of companies now. 
Um, and so I, I think it's good. I think it's a pretty big deal. Good. All right. Interesting. Thank you. Um, and good to have you back for sure. And okay. hopefully we won't uh, gap out so long between the next one, but we'll have you on before long. Before Sound, long. Thanks. Sounds good, man. All right. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson and, or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws. Securities discussed within this podcast may be held in the Von Nelson strategies.